In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our gospel this morning is from St. Luke. And St. Luke, as you may recall, is well-educated with an outstanding command of the Greek language. And unlike the other apostles, he is a physician whose vocabulary is extensive and rich. And as a medical doctor, he writes in a condensed style with emphasis and sensitivity towards the human side of Jesus, as well as his divine judgment. Our passage this morning takes us back to Palm Sunday and the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. In this passage, St. Luke reveals for us the human side of the divine Jesus, his weeping over Jerusalem and his anger for flagrant disobedience and the dishonoring of the temple, his house of prayer and worship. The passage begins a few miles from Jerusalem, near Bethpage. And from the descent of the Mount of Olives, there is a magnificent view of Jerusalem in which the whole city lay in full view in the valley below. Carol and I have been there and can attest to this beauty. For those of you who have been there, you will agree with me that the view is indeed breathtaking and panoramic. Surprisingly, as this view starts to unfold before Jesus, he stops and begins to weep. And there are two places in the New Testament where it says Jesus wept. One was at his friend's Lazarus death, and the other is here as he gazes over the city of Jerusalem. These, there are also two words in the Bible for weeping. One is just a trickle of a tear down your cheek. And the other is the eruption of the soul in brokenness. And it is the second word in Greek that is used here. As Jesus weeps, a flood of compassionate tears flowing from his soul. Jesus weeps for what is not going to be, not what's going to happen to him, but he weeps for the future of Jerusalem. Our passage describes what they will be. Speaking to the city itself, Jesus says, quote, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Unquote. Jesus was, of course referring to the impending destruction of the city, which would come at the hands of the Roman general Titus about 50 years later in 70 AD. The church fathers and historians declare that the city was so thoroughly sacked during that siege that the ground was plowed up and salt was poured into each of the furrows. The glorious temple was utterly destroyed. And all of Jerusalem's rebellious inhabitants, men, women, and children were tortured, 
brutalized and murdered. Jesus was weeping because the inhabitants of Jerusalem refused to hear the call of God. This refusal set a path to disaster and destruction. Jerusalem rejected the Messiah, and Jesus wept for a city that did not recognize God's great moment to restore peace through Christ when he came. The importance of making a wise decision about Jesus is a constant theme throughout Luke's gospel. Acceptance of him leads to great blessing, while rejecting him leads to great pain. But make no mistake, beloved, whenever people grieve, Jesus weeps. Whenever children suffer, Jesus weeps. Wherever lives are torn apart and hearts are empty and hope dies, Jesus weeps. When the prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of Jesus, he said, quote, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his stripes we are healed, unquote, Isaiah 53, 4-5. Jesus indeed weeps over the brokenness of our world. St. Luke tells us that Jesus continues his journey on that day into the city. His destination is the temple, the most holy of places for Jews. Every community in that day had its local synagogue, but there was only one temple, and that only one was in Jerusalem. What Jesus found was not a house of prayer, but a loud commercial brokerage firm there, items necessary for sacrifices were sold, animals, wine, oil, salt, and doves. In addition, money was changed from Roman currency to the required shekel. And this monetary exchange had a built-in surcharge, a portion of which went unlawfully to the high priest's family. And in addition, there was a house of prostitution close at hand. And you can imagine where the exchange of money went. The temple had become an excessive commercial and somewhat of a black market enterprise. Definitely not a place of prayer and worship. The smell of the temple was not the fragrance of incense, but the reek of cattle mixed with the high-pitched raucous noise of the auctioneers and traders. St. Luke tells the story of the temple cleansing succinctly. Jesus, in righteous indignation, drives out the merchants and emphatically quotes from Isaiah, quote, My house is a house of prayer, unquote. And from Jeremiah declaring that the people have made it, quote, a den of robbers. Jesus publicly and unashamedly condemns the defilement and abuse of the temple's holy function, which is, of course, to pray and worship. And this cleansing seals his fate with the watching chief priests, the watching Sadducees and Pharisees that are on the sidelines observing everything. St. Luke tells us from that point forward the chief priests and leaders were trying to kill Jesus. 
Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words as he spoke and taught each day from the cleansed temple. Jesus is now just a few days away from the cross at Calvary. History often records that in the lives of great people, their finest hours were their final hours, and it was no exception with Jesus. It would appear that this day, the beginning of the Passion Week, was rather negative and depressing. Jesus wept for a city headed for destruction. He drove the merchants from the temple. And yet there is a single verse, almost a footnote, in the synoptic gospel of Matthew regarding this day. It reads, quote, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And thus, perhaps, we could best summarize the events of this day like this. God's judgment is indeed real, but so is God's tears and mercy. And in just a few days, as Jesus would hang on the cross for us, God's judgment is indeed real. But so is God's perfect love and amazing grace as found on the cross. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.